with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good morning. Oh, boy. Where did that come from? Good morning. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good day, everyone. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick. And tonight we go in search of Bigfoot or Big Feet or Bigfoot Eye or whatever they say. Anyways, my special guest today is uh, Bigfoot researcher Crystal Panic. Hi, Ron. How are you doing? Good. What is a group of big foots called? Just Bigfoot. Big footies. Big foot <laughs> eye. I don't know. Anyway, always a, I can't stand. All right. So they're not big feet. Why I say called, Bigfoot. Why are they called Bigfoot if they have two feet? Couldn't tell you. <laughs> Just curious. These are important questions people want to know. Anyway, thank you for joining us. Uh, you're fresh back from your appearance at Spirit Quest this year, where people loved your uh, presentation. So I thank you very much for that. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was intriguing. Uh, I wasn't aware that we had all these Bigfoot running around here in New England, but uh, I think you're going to tell us a little bit more about it. But first, uh, I want to know is how you get an interest, how you get involved with all this and why big feet? Why not ghosts? Why not UFOs? Why not blackness voices? I actually am interested in all of it. So I'm mm -hmm. fascinated by all things paranormal, cryptid, you name it, I'm interested in it. I love Excellent. it. Excellent. My type of woman. That's the life's mystery. It's also what I love. Yep, exactly. So what was there a particular thing that, I mean, you, you, you gave a nice presentation uh from, I, I wasn't able to see it of course because i got so much to do with during those uh events but um from what i heard it was it was intriguing you had a map you had all kinds of pins in it and stuff so it was kind of cool i mean what what drove you towards that particular aspect of the paranormal uh myself i actually had an encounter when i was a child so that actually stirred this passion I have for, for just trying to find answers to anything unusual. So um, I can share my encounter with you if you'd like. We can do it now. We can do it later. It's up to you. Well, I mean, I'm good with it. It's up to you. Okay. Actually, um, I was six years old at the time. Um, this was in 1978 in uh, up in Oswego, New York. Um, we had gotten home. Uh, one night and um, we had gotten home one night and we started going into the trailer and my mom rushed us back out to the car. And of course, my my twin and I, we didn't have any clue what was going on, but the sheriff came and they looked around the house and um, nothing was stolen, but the back door was practically ripped off the hinges on the trailer. Really? Yeah. So I I don't recall how my mom kind of jimmy rigged it closed but it, it it was i guess it was closed but my twin and i our our bedroom was directly across from that broken door 
in a little hallway. And um, I woke to my sister calling my name, Crystal, Crystal. And as I sat up, there was um, a large hairy thing in the doorway. Oh. And I was terrified. I didn't want to go in front and climb down to her bunk. So I squeezed myself between the wall and my bed just to get down to her bunk on the bottom. Mm -hmm. And um, we were huddled together on that bottom bunk. And I, I always say this is when things get weird. Not like saying a Bigfoot is weird in itself, but this Bigfoot mm -hmm. started walking into our room. Oh. And from the point of it walking into our room, both my twin and I have no recollection of anything else that happened that night. Everything just went black. So Wait a minute. So you blacked out? You passed out? Uh, I can't tell you. Just, just everything. Time. Yeah, everything just went black. So we, we neither one of us have, have any memory on what happened from the point of it walking in. Um, so we... I don't, I can't say we really woke up, but when we woke up the next morning, um, that door was open and we walked down the hall towards the living room and we had this big bay window in the trailer. And uh, as we walked into the living room and happened to, to look out that big, that big window in the back, um, the creature was squatting down behind an old car that was in the, in the backyard. And it made eye contact with us. It stood up and turned around and just walked into the woods. So, so can you describe it to me? It's I do not. I can't tell you what it looked like other than it was big and hairy. And I remember its eyes. When people ask me what did its face look like, I can't tell you because I, I just don't, I can't remember. I was just uh -huh. so focused on its eyes that I, I can't tell you what its nose looked like, its what mouth color looked were like. The eyes? They were like a dark brown. So I can't, so I've been toying with the idea of doing like a hypnosis session um, to see if I can pull those memories out. Mm -hmm. uh, talked to my twin about doing it and unfortunately she has no, no interest in doing it mm -hmm. because I'd like to do two separate sessions. I'd like her to do a session and for me to do a session and then do a comparison. Yeah, which is. And great, to see, and to see, yeah, so. I'm hoping one day that she'll want to do it. We'll see. Um, but that's kind of what drove me into, you know, doing what I do now. I didn't realize that there were these communities for Bigfoot, you know, living here in New England. It's just something that you really don't talk about. And right. we um, always hear about them out northwest, you know, that, right. that way. Yeah. And and it wasn't until like finding Bigfoot and Facebook that I realized, holy smokes, there's just communities out there of people who have like interests, you know, the same thing I'm interested in. And then I found out there were these conferences, there's conferences for BF, you know, for Bigfoot. So I was, I actually, the first one I went to, I got to be, meet Bob Gimlin, who was one of the, one of the, um, the people that captured that film in, in 1967, I think it was of Patty, you know, that Bigfoot walking across the, the, the sand there. So, um, so that, so that was my first, um, conference that I, you know, going to for Bigfoot that I got to meet him. And it was, it was just amazing that, wow, there's, there's so many people here that have the same interest as I do. So that really 
kind of pushed me into doing more with Bigfoot. And then um, my my daughter actually had an encounter, um, which kind of pushed me into filing a report with the BFRO and then finally being able to to meet them. <laughs> so what's what's the odds that your daughter and you would both have a well, you want to hear the strange thing. Uh, after Ooh, after um, my sister and I had our sighting, we told my mom about it. And my mom shared with us that she had an encounter in those same woods in New York when she was a little girl. So that's three generations who have had, have, who have witnessed it at least once. So now after my daughter had her encounter, that happened here where we live now in New Hampshire. And okay. I was working, I worked from home. My husband and I owned a computer training company. And uh, so it was just my daughter and I home. And I said, hey, I have to go make a phone call. Um, you know, she knew the routine, just be quiet. I gotta make a phone call. So I go in the office and I'm on the phone with this gentleman and all of a sudden she is banging on the door, just beating on it. and so of course I'm on the phone. I'm like trying to cover it up. I toss my stapler at the door, like Shh, be quiet, be quiet. So then <laughs> she's still going crazy. How, how old was she at that time? Uh, she was five. She was five. Oh, a little one. Okay. Yep. So I told this gentleman I was on the phone with, I'm sorry, let me call you back. And as soon as I hung up and I opened the door, I was going to yell at her. Like, what are you doing? You know, I'm on the phone. She grabbed onto me and clung onto me. And I was like, Whoa, 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 what's going on? What's going on? And she hadn't known about my encounter because that wasn't something that I was doing at the time. And so I I asked her what was going on and she told me a big hairy man just walked by the window. So of course I'm like, a bear? And she's like, no, a big hairy man just walked by the window. So I run to the window and I'm looking outside and I'm like, well, where did he go? And she goes, the woods. So I wanted to go outside and see if I could hear anything. But she was like clinging onto my sweater and would not let oh, me go yeah. outside. And, you know, now I look back on it and go, dang it, why didn't I go outside and look for tracks, look for hair? But at that time, I didn't know what to do right. in these situations. And not, and not only that, I mean, she was scared. You had a comforter or something. Yeah, she was terrified. She was so afraid that, that if you went, something would happen to you or her. So, yeah, I, I yep. totally understand that. So you, you made a good decision. So, I know as a researcher, you would love to have... More now, around. yeah, now I look back on it and go, dang it, I wish I had gone outside. I wish yeah. I had looked at tracks. I wish you I had done this. You made the right thing as a mom <laughs> at the time. So I'll give you that. <laughs> so, but then after she had her encounter, I was driving her um, to school, to preschool. And I was, and I was thinking, you know, wow, what are the, what is this thing we've seen? So I had an encounter. My mom had an encounter, my daughter. So then I started doing more research. And that's when, you know, finding Bigfoot started coming out and, and then I learned about all these different groups. And I actually filed a report with the BFRO about my daughter's sighting. And um, and then we, when the Finding Bigfoot team was here in New Hampshire doing their town hall meeting, um, they had a, a, an email in the newspaper that said, have you had a sighting? So I was like, oh, well, let me let me send in my daughter's sighting. So I did, and we got a call from the producers and said, hey, we want you to come to the town hall meeting. So we drove up to the, the town hall meeting 
Um, she shared her encounter, but she didn't get selected for the show, which was fine. But it was really cool, though, being able to still sit there and just listen to everybody's encounters. Right. So we were on our way home. We were getting ready to leave. And uh, it was a snowstorm that night. Oh. And we had to, like, drive home from from they were all the way up at right across from the Omni uh, Mount Washington hotel, uh, oh, yeah. Brent, Brenton woods. That's where they were. So we were, I was just getting ready to walk out the door and I was like, I stopped and she's like, come on, let's go. I said, no, no, no. I have to go talk to Matt moneymaker. He's, you know, he runs the BFRO. So I went in and I said, Matt, you do not have any active, you know, investigators here within the state of New Hampshire. What do I need to do to become an investigator? And he s- sat down and we talked for probably another hour. And then he shook my hand and said, welcome aboard. So that's kind of how the whole, you know, me becoming an investigator with the BFRO took place. Oh, that's pretty cool. So for those yeah, who was, don't know, what does uh, that mean? Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. The BFRO is the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. And that is a group that was founded in um, 1995 by Matt Moneymaker uh, after his encounters himself. So it's pretty much it's it's a database um, where you can go out to the BFRO.net. You can submit sightings reports. You can take a look at, at public sightings. So that's what I had discussed a little bit, too, during our uh, the presentation I did was if you look at the BFRO website and look at the state of New Hampshire, you'll see that we only have like 16 public cases. But people are people are very um, private here, so they don't want people to come to their location, because if you go out to the site, you can actually enter in. GP, you can see GPS coordinates where people have had sightings. Oh, wow. Well, people here in in New Hampshire, in New England, they're pretty private and they really don't want anybody to know. Or they don't, you know, they don't want anybody on the property. So, so it's pretty, um, I have more reports than there are public reports. So I have probably over almost 300 reports for the state of New Hampshire, but only 16 public cases. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Hmm. So uh, are the cases of the reports of Bigfoot across the country similar are they very according to uh, areas or, or what? Uh, I th- personally, I think that they're a lot of the same. You know, people will just have a visual sighting, road crossings. They'll hear it, smell it. Um, some Why? there are some reports of it. Like? Though there's some reports of it smelling like, you know, something dead or like a wet dog. Um, and some people, when they have their encounters, they don't, uh, you know, remember a smell at all or they don't have a smell. So what it means, I, I couldn't tell you. Okay. But that's like Florida has the skunk ape. Does it smell like a skunk because it's always hot and wet down there? Don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, there are variations of uh, different names. And we know that, that the different Indian groups had different names for these creatures and and they are in in uh, Indian folklore, correct? Yes, they are definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually talked to several people who are with the uh, Abenaki tribe who have shared their encounters with me. So they're they're all over the state of New Hampshire. 
No, no, that's amazing. Now, I I remember a case, and I forget. I know it was out west, but I can't remember which particular state it was in. About where a group of uh, gentlemen in a cabin actually uh, were attacked by a a, a group of uh, uh, big feet. Uh, yep. Bigfoot. Yep. You, that was are you ape, aware of that? ape. Yeah, Ape Canyon. Uh, couldn't tell you the exact location. I just can't remember, but it's yeah, called it's Ape Canyon. And I, I believe the encounter was they had um, killed or injured um, a Bigfoot. And in retaliation, um, a group of Bigfoots were just throwing rocks and things at the cabin. And I believe recently, I'm, and I wish I had know, I know the names, but I can't remember. Um, mm -hmm. Someone actually has found the exact location of where the cabin was. Um, hmm. I don't know the specifics behind it, unfortunately, but I believe they were doing some metal detecting and they found, they found like nails and things like that. I think the cabin may have burned down. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too over the years. I mean, this was back in right. the 1800s. So yeah. Long, like, long yeah. time ago. Yep. Was it 1800s or early 1900s? I forget now offhand, but. At the top was, of my head, I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was well, maybe late 1800s, I believe. I'm I'm not sure though. So, I I only uh, I mean <laughs> I'm, I'm not a big enthusiast, so I, I don't, you know, I don't uh, you know follow at all. But uh, if there's something that's unusual, like this particular incident was, I I certainly uh, it piques my interest enough to to you know find out more about it. So at that time. Uh, I thought that was very intriguing. Uh, yep. But yeah, anything Bigfoot, paranormal, UFO, cryptids—you name it—I'm just fascinated by it. I just, I need to know more. <laughs> I, I just, you know, uh, the biggest, you know, the biggest, uh, I guess, drawback is that you know we've never found the carcass of a Bigfoot. Uh, Except for that one, of course, it was in the freezer. <clears throat> oh, the Rick Dyer <laughs> incident. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those who don't know what we're talking about, uh, these gentlemen, <clears throat> I use that term loosely, uh, had the carcass of a Bigfoot in the freezer. Uh, but that quite didn't turn out what it was. No, but and you know, when that whole thing came out, I just... I told my husband, my husband, unfortunately, is a non-believer, but he supports me in everything I do. But when I, when that story came out, I was like, yes, finally, you're going to, you'll see, you'll see. It's true. It's true. It's real. It's real. And then when it came out of hoax, I was just devastated because <laughs> I just wanted there to be some proof. You know, when you, when you mentioned that, it sounds so much like a similar instance we had only with uh, on the other end of it, uh, uh, ghosts, uh, Maureen Wood, who is uh, a, a psychic medium that I worked with for many, 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 many years. Uh, we did a investigation up at Wood Island Lighthouse, and then we did a presentation after for the, the organization to raise money. And uh, after the organization, there was a, a gentleman there and asked me if I uh, had ever heard of uh, Glendon Hamilton. And of course, he was a, a big researcher of the paranormal up in Canada and back in, I believe, in the 30s, 1930s. And uh, 
he used to hold these seances uh, and he had these photo banks that would record everything in it. And he, he's actually got his whole uh, wing of all his work at the University of uh, Manitoba. And uh, he'd have people like, uh, oh, what's the, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the, the governor of uh, Ontario and, and other prominent people that used to go to these seances in city. So they, they had all the photographs. So anyways, uh, he says, my daughter is the granddaughter of, of him. And uh, he, she has a, a collection of his photographs. Would you like to see him? And of course we said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, I mean, this supposedly this is where they had got proof where there was ectoplasm and all this stuff. So um, he said, I'm going up to Canada in a couple of weeks, I'll be back. And so he came back and uh, we took it. And of course Maureen was so happy because I mean, she's a medium. She wants proof like everybody else. Like you want proof to find that body. And so we, we got in and we, we saw the pictures and, and, oh, they were terrible. It was like uh, a cardboard wrapped in, in um, gauze. There was like um, gauze coming out of the uh, medium's mouth and attached to the wall. It was like even a piece that was, was still had a thumbtack in it. It was... Oh, <laughs> this, so she, she, she looked like you had that great disappointment. Of, right. You know, wanting that proof. And but you know what? Go ahead. Go ahead. Nope. I was no. just, <laughs> no, go ahead. No, we just, we just want the answers. So, yeah. and you know, sometimes people will get, you know, there's two sides. You have people who believe that Bigfoot is a flesh and blood creature. And then you have some who believe it's a paranormal entity. Or, mm -hmm. or an alien. I've been told that it's an alien as well. Or a dimensional being. Right. So it's tough because I've tried to, I try to keep open-minded because there's so many different, you know, like I had a gentleman, he was, he would always tell me that Bigfoot would shapeshift and talk to him in the woods. And, and I just always said, well, what makes you think it's Bigfoot and not something else? There's, there's so many different things that it could be. Mm -hmm. that sometimes people will just jump onto the Bigfoot. It's Bigfoot, it's Bigfoot. But we really don't have the answers of of what Bigfoot is. Someday, hopefully, we will. Yeah, I mean, so we go back to the question, why can't we ever find the body? You know, I've been in the woods a lot. I have found some deer carcasses, but, I mean, I've never found a bear carcass, and we know bears are out there. If this creature is so elusive, that's my thing is, you know, nature takes its course and the body could be gone before you have a chance to even to even find it. Fair you know, point. porcupines, porcupines chew antlers and mice chew yeah. antlers and so and bones. So there's been studies where they've put well, like a deer carcass in the woods with time lapse. I and mean, with, would you, within would like you a even, couple of days, it's gone. When you think about it. Uh, that's a very valid point. When you think about it, Crystal, how many uh, rabbits and, and squirrels and chipmunks and, and how many skeletons you come across? You really don't. You not really that don't often. Find. Yeah, not often. Once in a while, occasional, if it's something. Uh, but very, very seldom. But then I, then I started thinking some more, of course, because that's what I do. And as you know, we have these terrible, terrible fires out in Canada. And with all these big fires, you would think, they would certainly be driving the population if it exists 
out into the open where it could be photographed, where, you know, even bodies could be found or, or whatever. Uh, you, you think that we, we would see more evidence from these fires? Uh, or, you know, what's your thoughts on that? That's a good point. You know, I it probably does drive them um, to drive them out. Most people say that they're a nocturnal creature, but there's been so many daytime sightings as well. So it's it's hard to say whether it's a nocturnal or or, you know, comes out during the day. It's, I mean, a lot of reports I have are daytime sightings. You do from from our neck of the woods. Yep. <laughs> a lot of Which... yeah, a lot of road crossings and or you know it peeking out from behind trees. So. Yeah. So uh, we're coming up on the break on it, but uh, yeah, I want to talk to you more about uh, this and, and some other topics as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's fascinating. You know, I, I, like I said, I'm not a big foot person, so to you know learn from someone who has done some research from it is is intriguing, and I can actually ask questions for those people who aren't, uh, you know, big footies. <laughs> so. <laughs> Anyways, we do have to take a break. You're listening to uh, Ghost Chronicles Next Generation right here at Tojanet. And we're all good podcasts uh, listened to. And we're brought to you by the Circles of Wisdom, 286 Memorack Street, Bethune, Massachusetts. The Glant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts. And our very, very, very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon who support the show and allow us to bring it to you. So uh, they also have access to more than 50 exclusive uh, videos and other stuff on the site uh, that's what you become a member you, you have access to. So, um, you know, it's a cup of coffee a month. Anyways, uh, we do have to take a break. And when we come right, right back, uh, we'll be talking with uh, Crystal Panic right here on Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. We'll be right back. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Parax Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing. Although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. 
The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. And, of course, that is the theme of Van Helsink. And we are back with Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, and my special guest today is Crystal Paddock, uh, paranormal and Bigfoot researcher. So, Crystal, before we go too far, and I do have a question for you as well from the chat room. So, um, if somebody wants to find out more about you or get in touch with you, how can they do that? Oh, they can... Uh, reach out to me on Facebook. It's just Crystal Panic uh, on Facebook. Um, That's spelled how? C R Y S T A L, and my last name Panic. P is in Peter. A N E K, and my my email address is just Crystal Panic at hotmail dot com. Okay, and if they have a Bigfoot account that they want to report, where can they go with that? They can uh, submit a report using the bfro dot net uh, website. And if it's for New Hampshire, just put in all your information and it's a database that we can log into. We can look at current sightings and then um, assign them to ourselves. Okay, thank you so much. Um, so I have a question from the chat room and this is from John. He says, uh, what if Bigfoot uh, live in parallel worlds? Is, is you, what's your thought on that? You know, there's there's different sides to the story. I mean, we really don't know. Mm-hmm. So whether they come through portals, whether they're flesh and blood, there's really no answers. There's there's no definitive proof yet. So unfortunately, I have to just keep an open mind. I'm I'm open because I've heard so many different types of stories. I've heard, you know, people who have just seen these creatures, but then I've also talked to people who have seen them basically disappear right in front of their face. So, so it's, it's really tough to say, I try to be open-minded on, on all sides. So, so have you ever mounted an expedition or joined an expedition? I have actually, um, I haven't done any here within the state of New Hampshire. Um, I was asked to do one, but, but the logistics behind everything, it was just, it was too much, honestly, Mm -hmm. but, um, the Massachusetts team um they're actually called squatchachusetts uh they're they're with the bfro as well and they typically will host um expeditions um that you can go to uh also you can see expeditions listed on the bfro.net site so they do host um expeditions all across the u.s and into canada so what do they do on the expeditions? I mean, you know, what type of equipment do they have? What is the purpose of the expedition and, and so forth? Uh, really, we're just going out to seek evidence to get proof. Um, so we're, we're pretty much just going into the woods looking for any kind of sign, footprints, um, 
you know, I, I'm the type of person when I go into the woods, I don't do a lot of, um, calls like people will knock on trees or do whoops and hollers. Um, mm -hmm. personally, I just, I'm a quiet investigator. I like to listen. So when I go in the woods, I'm quiet, but there's, but then everybody's different on how they investigate. It's the same with paranormal investigating. Everybody is different. There's kind of really no right and wrong. So pretty much just going out and seeking proof. I like to go out with, you know, my recorder and just listen. Mm -hmm. So, um, night vision, um, trying to think things that we bring with us. I, I like to bring with me, you know, casting materials for hopefully Excellent. one day I'll be able to find a really good track. I have found several trackways here in New Hampshire, but unfortunately those cast those, I can't cast them because they're in moss or I've actually even found a full footprint in a stream in the water. So oh. unfortunately I, I, all I could do is take pictures. And as everybody knows, pictures just do not do it justice. Mm -hmm. So, so so the cast you brought to Spirit Quest, uh, you were a speaker at Spirit Quest this year. Uh, where did those came, come from? Actually, one of the casts was from um, Patty herself from the Patterson-Gimlin film. That's the female Bigfoot that walks across that, that stream bed there. Um, I have one of her casts. I had uh, a hand cast from, um, oh, my brain just went blank um <laughs> that's all right paul freeman uh paul freeman he took he has got he had several videos of of bigfoot and he had some some casts i have a hand cast from him and the other cast was um from onion mountain um and at the top of my head i can't remember who who got that one that's okay and the other cast um, I actually purchased from Cliff Berrickman from Finding Bigfoot when he was at a conference, and that was for a more recent sighting of a Bigfoot that was seen in Minnesota. So I, I had that cast as well. Yeah, they were pretty cool. Yeah, and people were impressed by those. They just took a lot of pictures of stuff. I so, <laughs> yeah, I know I had so much more to discuss, but that that hour flew by so fast. Yeah. And yeah, and people enjoyed it. Like I said, there was a, a very good presentation. Like I said, I'm sorry I didn't get to see it, but oh, uh, that's okay. You were busy. But <laughs> what I from what I heard, uh, it was uh, an excellent presentation. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. Um, the other thing I want to talk to you about is and then I'm going to go back to the castle where I forget where. Oh yeah. Now earlier in in the beginning of this uh, conversation, you, you mentioned that. Some people uh, make noise sits on trees or whoops. Uh, what, what is that? What, what is that? And what does it actually mean? You know, nobody really knows for sure. I mean, you hear calls. There's there's different kinds of calls. There's whoops. There's screams. Um, um, Ron Moorhead and Al. Um, oh, no, I think his name is Al Barry. They actually in the 70s, I believe, captured what it was known as, and I should have explained this as well, samurai chatter. That's where it, they're audio clips of, it sounds like Bigfoot speaking, but it almost sounds like an Asian type of, you know, dialect. Huh. So um, they call it samurai chatter. And 
to me, it's, it's just fascinating. So if you ever just Google samurai chatter and you can hear the different and, and Ron Moorhead and, and, uh, and hear the different recordings that they picked up in the, um, uh, Sierra Nevada mountains, I believe it was. Don't quote me on that. That's but, all right. Don't worry about it. But, um, yeah. I, so I, I, quite frankly, I'm not a, a detailed person either. So, you know, don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> all the different names. Sometimes my brain just goes, forgets what I was saying and just shuts off. Um, the, the important thing is the, the gist of, of what you're saying and not necessarily in the details. So the important thing is, you know, other than you always hear them say, oh, the, the thing is in the detail. Well, I don't agree with that. You can always look up the details, but the idea is get the the general idea across, which is the important thing. So you're doing fine. Yep. Don't Thank you. Yeah. But uh, as far as knocks and things like that, yeah. I, to me, I don't, that's why I'm a quiet investigator. I don't like to go mm. in and do knocks because you might knock on a tree three times. You know, for some reason, there always seems to be in threes, three knocks. <laughs> that's that's so spiritual, so paranormal. <laughs> it's, it's so bizarre. It, I mean, it's it follows all, all across religions, all across you know, uh, different cultures all across uh, different uh, modalities of, of uh, paranormal research, the three. <laughs> yep. So it's, but the, if you hear a knock, usually, yeah, like I said, it'll be in threes. And to me, a knock is almost like a jackrabbit thumping to say, hey, there's danger in the woods. Because you might get out of your vehicle and have, First thing I always do, though, is have that recorder going before you get out of the car, because if you get out of the car and you hear those knocks, then at least you have the recording, the recording of the knocks, because it always Mm -hmm. seems that once you hear those knocks, um, there's no more activity. It's really quiet. So I've come to the conclusion. This is my personal conclusion that a knock is a warning. But there there are other investigators might think differently. So oh, it's, good. it's it's I mean, we can't prove anything. So it's, it's, no, it's right now right. It's based on opinion. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, have you ever heard knocks? I have heard knocks and oh, I've cool. actually even heard whoops. You have. So it was a I was on a, an expedition um, in Western Mass mm-hmm. and we were we were just kind of actually even being quiet. We were just or, um, being loud. We were on our way back um, to the campsite. And it had been fairly quiet. So we were just like talking and laughing and walking. And the leaf litter was just so loud, though. So while we were walking, we ended up hearing a whoop off in the distance. And, of course, then everybody stops. And we're all really quiet. And we heard one more. But then um, my recording, because people were walking, the, Mm -hmm. the leaf litter noise, the leaves crunching. Oh, yeah. I couldn't get it on. the. It was just so quiet that the recorder just didn't pick it up. And I was, oh, I was heartbroken because <laughs> I was like, oh, we were so excited because we heard it. But then to not have that proof to back it up because just the, the crunching of the leaves was just so loud. And that's the same with ghost hunting. I mean, you know, you say, like, oh, did you hear that? And then you go back and record it. And I mean, listen to the recording. It's like, oh, crap. Yep. <laughs> I can't hear anything. Yep. <laughs> That's my favorite part with with paranormal investigating is is listening for the EVPs. Mm-hmm. I love doing audio review. You do? Oh, that's I, good. I do love it. 
because my my very first EVP I ever got was um, I was in a basement of an inn up in um, I believe it's Guilford, New Hampshire. It's up in the mountains, and um, I got a I was talking to the psychic that was there, and there was an old bathroom downstairs with the old pull handle toilet. You had to pull the handle oh, yeah. to flush it. So yeah. I said, yeah, and the old toilet's down here too. And then the EVP just came across and said, and so are you. <laughs> and I was Sorry. like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but not hearing that until doing audio review, it was just, I was so excited by it. Yeah. yeah. I had the, perhaps one of the strangest uh, experiences that I had. Oh, one of the many strange experiences I had was uh, in uh, Gettysburg. We were uh, working with uh, Mark Ness was down there. I think I had Richard Felix over from the UK and we uh, rented a place down there and we did a bunch of events with him. And then one uh, night we did a private uh, investigation into the engine house down there. And I'm on film, I'm recording, uh, there was somebody on camera and I, and I was interviewing the manager of the uh, station house and we're just talking very quietly and uh, Maureen and some of the other investigators and some I think it's uh, Mark's wife uh, was in the back and all of a sudden we heard this huge bang I mean huge bang and you could see us we all jump up and then it was like you know we all stop what we're doing and we run back to there and uh, you know see where it came. we couldn't you know, tell where it came from. But the interesting thing about it is that when we listened back to the video recording, it wasn't there at all. And it was, I mean, it was not like a little bang. It was a huge deafening bang so much that you could, you can see us, you can see us like stop and, and, and the shock and everything of, you know, even the guy I was interviewing and, and then we, we run out, but no sound at all. Oh, it never fails. <laughs> no, but it, it's intrigue. It's almost like, you know, what was that? Was it, you know, an EVP is, is, is you know, a materialization of a sound on a recorder. Uh, you know, the, the spirit's voice that takes a white noise of the recorder and, and, and uh, manifests its voice on it. But was this something else? Was this perhaps like a, um, almost like a time slip where you, 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 you actually peered into a different time? And, and that sound came through a different time. Uh, it, we don't know. We absolutely don't know. And we just have guesses about it, but it wasn't recorded. Absolutely. And it was, like I said, it was deafening. You could see our reaction. You could see us running and everything. And uh, yeah. Wow, so, that's yeah. crazy. Crazy stuff. Paranormal fun. That's why I do it. <laughs> I, I do love it. Yeah. So, um, we, I, I mentioned uh, you, we talked about the whooping and we talked about the knocking, which were things that I didn't know about. Cause like I said, I'm not a serious researcher of the, the Bigfoot. Uh, so the, the other thing is have, have they ever take, I mean, we, you know, samples of, I mean, the, I, I, you know, I've heard about them. I'm not sure. So like, again, and I'm not a, a researcher, I mean, have samples of like, because and here and that type of stuff been discovered and and have there been analysis work done on them? Actually, I was going to bring that up with you. I have a sample that is on its way right now 
to be studied by uh, the North Carolina State University. They are currently cool. doing a study. And I had a hair sample that I collected from an individual here in New Hampshire. Um, this was in Gonic, New Hampshire. And this gentleman was walking his property line. He had a, uh, a big quarry and it had these big ruts from the old trucks, but it's all overgrown now. Mm-hmm. And uh, he does have a stream that runs through that property as well. So as he was walking through that property, there was, and I should also note that there was a butcher uh, that abutted his property that would take all the leftover parts and dump them into the woods. Yeah. So uh, he happened to be out there walking and it was getting near dusk and he ended up tripping. And as he tripped, he fell into one of those ruts and he landed on something. And this thing Whoa. picked him up and threw him backwards. And this this gentleman was tall, like 6'5", big guy. This mm-hmm. He flew backwards. This thing stood up. It ran one way. He ran the other. So he got to his truck. And when he got to his truck, he realized he had this handful of hair. So I happened to take a sample of the hair for my, you know, just because I was like, oh, my gosh, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. And... I had been searching for years trying to get somebody to do a DNA analysis on it. And now I'm so excited because finally I've gotten a response back and the North Carolina State University is going to be doing a DNA analysis on this hair sample. Uh, the hair sample I had actually has uh, some dried blood on it. So Sweet. I'm hoping that we can get some really good evidence from this. So I'm I'm really excited, and I cannot wait for the results to come back. Did they give you a, a, a timeline on it at all? No, no, unfortunately, no. they didn't. They're doing, um, I guess they're doing a study um, worldwide. And, oh, excellent. Yep, so um, my partner and I, I actually, it was Jeff Shepard and I, uh, he's from the BFRO in Mass, and he actually was the lead on this case um, in Gonic. So, but we're both, he has a sample and I have a sample from, from the collection and uh, we're submitting both, both samples, but we had to do an interview with them and, and then they had to meet with the team and decide whether this was a sample that they were interested in looking at. And uh, they, they just reached out to us last week and said, yes, we're interested. So the hair is on its way. So hopefully we get some really good results from that. That would be great. I had, uh, you know, uh, oh, Mark Nesbitt's actually from Gettysburg. He, he uh, had an experience one time where about uh, he he used to have this. Um, he was kid. Not, there was a caretaker for this this farm called Lady, Daniel Lady Farm, I believe it was, and uh, it was a Civil War hospital, of course. And uh, one day he got a call from the caretaker that uh, I don't, if if you don't know, uh, Mark Nesbitt's one of the the leading. Gettysburg Paranormal Investigators runs Ghosts of Gettysburg Tours for a hundred years and it's written six thousand books on Gettysburg. So <laughs> but anyways, uh so you got a uh a call from me. He says you get Mark, you gotta come down here. So he came down and uh when he came in there was this uh rusty like substance on the floor and uh Mark spent about uh, half an hour there recording it and measuring it and taking pictures and he took a sample of it with a uh cotton and put in a bag and put it in his car and, and after that while and when started home and he got about halfway home they got a call from the kid they says you got to come back you got to come back 
So he came back and we went into the room. The blood that was there was gone completely. There was not a trace of it whatsoever. I said blood, but whatever the substance was. Uh, there was no trace of it at all whatsoever. Uh, the floor still had like a dusty film, film on it, like it never existed. Uh, so he ran out to the car to make sure his sample was still there. And it was, and he had sent it out to the uh, state police barracks because he knew someone in, in uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, they came back eventually, and it was uh, human blood. Holy so, smokes, that's crazy. Yeah, so it, there are times that we can analyze certain things that we can get, um, you know, some pretty damn good proof of, uh, of, of at least what that particular incident was all about. I mean, here he spent the half an hour recording. I've seen the pictures. I've seen the, uh, and, and then the, the results from the blood sample. So, I mean, it, it's, that's intriguing. So I hope for you that it, it does come back as, as something that we, we can't identify because you know, and I know, uh, especially you as a researcher, there are so many, uh, incidents that have been out there like you know the yeti scalp and the, and the monastery and the yep and the uh, fuji mermaid and the, the mummy mermaid they found in japan and all this stuff it turns out that it's it's not what we really would like it to be what we hope it is <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah it's it's a shame because those people think it's just a joke or they try to make money from it and it really hurts the actual people who are trying to do investigations and, and to get the research and proof. Oh, I agree. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, you deal with it as well. You do have mm -hmm. hoaxers out there. And unfortunately that. Oh, yeah. Hoaxers just oh make me so mad. <laughs> <laughs> now, and when you get, say, somebody contacts you and say, OK, I've seen Bigfoot or I had this encounter with Bigfoot. Um, how do you proceed with that? Do you proceed similar to a paranormal case? Yeah, the first thing I do is reach out to them. I'll, I'll call them. Um, and usually I'll end up speaking with a, with a witness for a couple hours. Mm -hmm. I, can, I can talk for hours when it comes to Bigfoot and paranormal. But anyway. <laughs> do, do you um, record it? Do you just make notes? Or no, I take, I take lots of notes. I, I never record a person. Okay. Um, yeah. And again, people are up here are very private, um, you know, they, and it's still a pretty taboo subject here. You know, I, really? I've had, yeah, it's ridiculous. I, I'll have somebody, I'll, it's funny cause my license plate's Bigfoot. So I do have people yeah. reach out That's to right, me I like, saw that. <laughs> and I'll have people reach out to me, um, like I'll be at a grocery store and, and I'll run into someone and they'll, they'll share with me, Oh, you know, my best friend just had this encounter. Um, and it'll be a recent sighting and I'll be like, Oh, please, here's my card, you know, have them get in touch with me. And then the person's, you know, I'll run into the person again later and be like, Hey, your friend never got in touch with me. They don't want anything to do with it. They had an encounter, but they don't want to share it. Mm -hmm. And, and by then I'm thinking, Oh, all the evidence is gone. It's rained. And, or, you know, I've, I've talked to people, too, who have had really great Class A encounters, and then I want to do a site visit, and they don't want anybody out at their location. Mm -hmm. They just want to share the encounter. So, and, and 
but I'm seeking that definitive proof. That's what I'm looking for. So someday I hope we get it. So getting back to you, when you get a case like that, so you, you get a case, you, you talk to them, so you, you go visit them or do you interview them on the I, phone first? I usually will start with a, a phone call um, mm-hmm. and just do do an interview that way, talk to them about what they witnessed. I take lots of notes when I speak to people and I'll, I'll even tell people that I'm sorry if I'm quiet, it's just cause I'm writing. Mm-hmm. So, and I take lots of notes. Um, and then, um, if it's a more recent encounter, um, I will definitely try to get out and do a site visit. Okay. So, so you go out to where they're home or where they saw it, wherever the encounter is. Okay. So, and then they can share. And and I actually do take a lot of photos and video of an on-site visit. Do they go with you when you go to these site visits? Yes, they do. Yep. And then they they retell me everything all over again. Mm -hmm. So, and I've actually had a lot of great site visits. Um, Some of them I felt bad because I had to say, I don't think this is a Bigfoot. Oh, so you do do that. I just yeah, sometimes you no. Stuff. I didn't realize that you make decisions we, on it. Yeah, we do classify them. Um, a class A is they had a, phys, a a visual encounter. A class B is like sounds. They heard okay. whoops and and knocks and things like that. And then we have class C encounters, which are uh, like secondhand. Somebody's grandparent saw it, and their and their grandchild is telling us about it, type thing. Oh wow. So, so that's that's our classifications that we use. But I I personally hate having to close out a report for something like I might not think that it's a you know a Bigfoot encounter. I've actually um, talked with a gentleman who shared his encounter with me from up north up by North Conway, and after he just de- after he described what he saw, I was like I don't think that's a Bigfoot, I personally think, I mean, I don't know how people feel about it, but that sounds more like a dog man, just oh, the, okay. the description that he shared. So, mm-hmm. but then I always say, you know, there's no, so many different, different things. Different of a cryptoid. Different right. Cryptoids. Okay. So I, I don't believe he saw a Bigfoot. I believe he saw something else. Okay. So Unfortunately, we've got to run because oh. we've run out of time. So it's been a fun talking to you. I've learned a lot about Bigfoot. Like I said, that's not my thing. So uh, I had a lot of questions as a non-enthusiast would have. And you answered them brilliantly. And I thank you very much for that. And, uh, you know, that's something I'll have to, because I, I do hiking and stuff. But anyways, we do have to go. You've been listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron. And my special guest today is... Crystal was Crystal Panic, and she is a Bigfoot researcher. And you can find her on Facebook. Yeah, Facebook, my Facebook. And uh, we're brought to you by Circus of Wisdom, 286 Merrimack Street, Bethune, Massachusetts, the Glant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts. And our very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. Join three bucks a month and help support the show. Thank you so much and get access to exclusive stuff. Good night. God bless everyone. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you.
from ghoulies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.